Oh dear Father, we thank you. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so we're going to use 10 minutes um, to do a discussion on um, what we have learned so, so far on the five crowns. Or heaven's reward system or the doctrine of rewards so um, at least uh, some of you are going to share some few things that you've learned so far anything you've learned so far or anything you remember so far or anything that has um, you know you can never forget ever since you heard it so let's do it quickly in 10 minutes and then we get to today's message Hallelujah. So we've been dealing with the five crowns. We said some few things about heaven's reward system. We have explained that um, God is not only a father, he's also a judge. We said that as a judge, he's going to judge everybody. And we said that the judgment of the believer is not the same as the judgment of the um, the unbeliever. The judgment of the unbeliever is to determine the degree of his punishment. The judgment of the believer is to determine the degree of rewards. So, um, we said that there are rewards that are going to be given to believers who go the extra mile of advancing God's kingdom. We've said some few things about crowns. We've said some few things about the, the, uh, at least you've spoken about three different kinds of crowns so far. And I know you've learned something. So everybody's going to share. Can I have a microphone or something? Okay, so let me get it. Get it. So at least uh, everybody who has been coming for service here is going to say something. So uh, Mr. Evan, can you let the people here know? I mean, all right. Um, Please follow and pay attention, okay? Because sometimes discussions like this um, are really a blessing. Okay. Um, so for me, the most important thing I've learned is earlier on, um, I thought salvation is it all after you are saved. That is it. But then from your teaching, we've learned that, or I have learned that I'm not going to be rewarded for my salvation. There is no reward for salvation. If you are saved, you go to heaven. But in terms of the rewards you receive in heaven is dependent on what you do, the extra mile that you go. So I cannot just, this has given me a certain Please kind of what consciousness. Please very important. Now I've come to know that after I'm born again or now that I'm saved, I know I'll go to heaven. But then I know that there is a reward attached to it, to whatever I do. So I don't just relax and say that I'm born again, I'm saved, and that is all. I know that there is a reward at stake. And I think from last week, Papa uh, mentioned that there is a certain kind of shame that comes with it. If you go to heaven and you have no reward, you are just there. You didn't go the extra mile. Others are receiving great rewards for the activity or what they did. So our rewards is based on what you will do. The extra mile that you go, now that you are saved, now that you are born again. And all the ingredient that comes with the salvation is meant to help you to push forward, to work hard, in order to receive rewards when you get to heaven. So that's it from my right, Thank that's, you. That's all. Oh, yes. you still have some few things to say. All right, that's powerful. So, uh, who again? Okay, let me give chance to those who want to actually willingly want to say something. 
Because everybody's going to say something eventually. So those who willingly want to say it first, let me give you the opportunity. Now, this is just to encourage all of us, okay? okay? There's so nothing... What I learned is that that really blessed me. And what right. I, I learned from it is that um, um, working with God and Christ faithfully, um, in terms of endurance in our work with God, and you also said about crown of um, holiness, crown of, holiness, crown of righteousness. righteousness. And so uh, it is very, very important for uh, um, us folks or as a saint... We, we should be uh, holy and as he has called us to be so that our faithful, our work with him will be, um, they, our work with him will be um, as rewarded. rewarded. Yes. Alright, that's that's powerful. Okay, so uh, Julia, going to say something? Alright. Oh, apart from the, the crown of righteousness, I know about the victor's crown or okay. the incorruptible crown. That's the crown that we get after we learn to put our body under subjection. So we, when we decide to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, mm. so maybe any desire that our body or our flesh can actually want after, maybe if we decide to overcome it, that means we can get the victor's crown in heaven. So the crown for discipline. Okay, that's powerful. All right, all right, that's fine. I also learned. Please pay that attention. Okay. Yeah. The believer has three occupations. Mm. That the believer is first a soldier. Because a Christian work is a war. That the believer is also an athlete. Mm. And so it requires, the Christian work requires discipline. Otherwise, there's no victory in it. Mm. And then lastly, the believer is a farmer. That means we are called to work after mm. we've come to salvation. Mm. Mm. That's very powerful. What, what she just said is really, really good. We are not just called Christians and called the sons of God. They are spiritual occupations that we have been employed to do. Praise God. So these occupations were strategically used by the Holy Spirit to, make, to give us an idea of the work involved after salvation. We have explained that uh, in salvation, what happens is that you profited from God. In salvation, you profited from God. You enjoyed from God's um, love, God's finished work in Christ Jesus, righteousness by faith in Christ. Um, you've been registered in heaven. You profited from God in salvation. But after salvation, God is expecting that he will also profit from you. So in salvation, you profit from everything that God did for you. You received it. You only received it by faith, not by your works. But after you are saved, now God is expecting a harvest. He wants to also profit from you. In soul winning, for example, God profits from you. When you are a church worker, God is now profiting from you. When you um, spend time interceding for nations to be saved, God is now profiting from you. And that involves work. Praise God. So the Bible calls us soldiers to give us an idea that there is a war, an ongoing war. And every believer must fight. Whether you fight or not, there is a war. And the enemy is fighting. So it's better you put on your whole armor and fight. The Bible also calls us spiritual athletes. To be an athlete means you have to win something. What we are winning is not salvation because we are already saved. What you are winning is the, is the work that comes as a result of winning Christ. Are you following this thing? And that comes with discipline. Every athlete is disciplined. Then finally we are called what? Farmers. A farmer must wake up early in the morning. He has to go and sow seeds. He has to inspect the seeds. He has to water the seeds. He has to monitor the seeds. This is hard work. So telling us that after salvation, it's not enough to just be saved. There is hard work involved in salvation. 
And that is what every believer must know. Anyway, let's continue. Anybody willingly wants to share something with us? Alright, so um, upon say something. I want to draw more on the victor's crown. Okay, that's fine. Um, I had come across the, uh, the first Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Uh, my mind never went on the victor's crown about the discipline that you have to go through until okay. you started talking about the five crowns okay. in heaven. So I came to realize that I can actually discipline myself, <laughs> that this body can be tamed as what you want it to be. So um, my mind, one of the things that I learned from the five crowns as at now is that now I'm able to discipline this body. Now I'm able to tell this body what to do. Now I don't use my work as an excuse whether I'm tired or not. Now I can tame this body as I want to. Now I can tell this body to sleep for five hours and it will. Now I can tell this body to do this and it will. Now I don't make this body de determine what it must do because I want to finish my race. So that's what I learned from the five crowns. That's really powerful. That's really powerful. So Paul says he brings his body under sub subjection, which is First Corinthians chapter 9. So that means that this body is not supposed to be um, a master to us because the body is a very terrible master. If you allow the body to reign or rule in your life, it will make you do very terrible things. This body must always be a servant to you. How? You have to tame it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you, you do it. You don't do it in your strength that I've decided I wouldn't do this. No, no, no. You do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. So that, for example, you tell the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, today I, I want to spend some time to pray for three hours. The body will tell you, no, you can't pray for three hours. But you tell the Holy Spirit that, Holy Spirit, I trust your help because you are my strength. So the moment you start praying, that doesn't mean that because you have said that the Holy Spirit is your strength, that doesn't involve any energy from you. It is going to require your hard work, but now that hard work is depending on the Holy Spirit to fulfill it. Praise God. And that is what earns you the victor's crown. Praise God. Anyway, you want to say something? All right. Okay, so I want to touch on the ways that God chastises us. Okay, that's fine. And then Papa made mention that uh, first he, he chastises us in the word of God. So, um, each time the word of God is preached, there are certain areas that Papa might touch. It doesn't mean that uh, someone had, someone has uh, gossiped to him uh, concerning your issue or something. It is the Holy Spirit that is speaking to him to speak to you concerning that particular area. And then uh, he also said that through other believers. And then with that too, there are certain times you might be having discussions. Probably there are some issues that you are going through. When you have those discussions with other believers, believers who are strong in the faith they might also mention these are not um, they are not always to um, how do you put it like they are accusing you of your wrong but once they bring it up probably you are in a bad let's say you are in fornication you are fornicating or you are in masturbation or you are in a sin that you need help from probably that believer has also been in that issue mm. and then through the word of god he has been able to come out so when you guys are having discussion concerning those areas he might bring out what helped him to come out of that issue mm. so that's ways that god uses to chastise us that's very powerful all right um who else can say something for us then i want to say something all right say something for us with the five crowns of obedience, sorry, five crowns of the five crowns. Yeah. Um, I what I learned more is on the crown of righteousness, that 
Righteousness was just was given to us as a gift. So that one thing about God, what, what one thing I realized about God is that He gives us something and to help us with our work here on it to ease the stress. So once you understand the the some of the fruits or some of the gifts God gives to us, and then you begin to work with those gifts, it, it makes you do that work or live that work easily without any stress. So with the crown of righteousness, now I know that I've been given righteousness as a gift. So I have the righteousness as a gift. That's mean this is who I am. I have to live accordingly to who I am. I, I've been changed from under position to a new position. So now I know I'm righteous. So I begin to bear the fruits of righteousness. And I, once I do that, and I work perfectly in, in, with, in consistency with the righteousness I have, I, I will gain the crown of righteousness. So righteousness comes in three lights. First of all, as a gift to help you with your work here on earth. Then you begin to bear that fruit. You begin to produce the right, right, true right living. Then you get the crown of righteousness out of it. Thank you. That's very powerful. All right, so what she's saying is that um, we need to understand, w when it comes to the crown of righteousness, we need to understand that, first of all, God gives us righteousness as a gift. No one is righteous because of what he did. Because you cannot be righteous enough to become righteous. 1,500 years ago, God gave the law to men for them to um, obey the law to become righteous, and nobody was able to do it. Praise God. So in the New Testament, God gives us righteousness as a gift. When you read Romans chapter 3, the verse 20, the Bible says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law gives you the knowledge of sin, but does not give you power over sin. So in the verse 21 of Romans chapter 3, he says, But now a righteousness of God apart from the law has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets, which righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ which is upon all uh, uh, the Bible says upon them all that believe for there is no difference so there is a righteousness of God that comes to us as a gift we receive it by faith in Romans chapter 5 the verse 17 the Bible says as many as receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness so righteousness is first a gift you must believe that you are righteous because of your faith in Christ not because of something good you did follow this very important because there are many believers who are trying to do right to become righteous. No. We do right because we are already righteous. Because if you don't get that foundation, you will struggle with your Christian life. Because you will think that it is by your right doing that you will please God. But God wants you to know that first of all, he makes you right when you believe in Jesus Christ. And on the strength of that righteousness, he is expecting you to do what is right. Because a mango seed or a mango tree produces what? Mango fruits. So if you are righteous by faith and you have the nature of righteousness, soon that consciousness through the word of God, through prayer, is now going to help you produce the very fruits of righteousness. Are you following this thing? So we have the gift first. That is the foundation. Then after, it, when you receive the gift of righteousness, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, now begins to produce the fruits of righteousness from within you. Now, before you realize, you begin to live right. You begin to say no to sin. You begin to please God by your actions. Amen? So, the fruit of righteousness, which is the works of your righteousness, or your righteous living, or right living, is what is rewarded. You are not rewarded for the gift of righteousness. 
you are rewarded for producing fruit out of that gift. So the reward that is received for the fruits of righteousness is what we call what? The what? The crown of righteousness. Which is the reward for living right. So you will be rewarded for every righteous act that you did. The people you forgave. The sins you overcame. You will be rewarded. Surprisingly. So every righteous act that is revealed in God's word, which you lived out, will be rewarded. Are you seeing this thing? Alright, let's take two more than uh, we continue with today's teaching. The series you've done, I think we've done about five, uh, yes. Okay, so last week, um, yeah. we talked about areas that we can discipline ourselves Thank in. Thank you. Good. And one area to discipline ourselves in is area of purpose. Is the area of what? Purpose. Wonderful. Yes, and may mention that as students, we shouldn't limit ourselves to what our lecturers, our lecturers, lecturers teach us in class. Rather, we should um, advance ourselves in our area. And also, as Christians, um, our gifts, we should also advance in them, make research, and also win souls for God through that. Okay, that's, that's very powerful. All right, can we have one more? One more person? One more person? All right, so. One, one area to, that I learned last week was in the area of uh, purity. Okay. Now, yeah. we, are, we are staying on uh, the five crowns. The five crowns. Is that what you are talking about? Is that an area you are talking about? Or is another teaching? Because the battle for purity is another teaching for the second service. It's not that one you want to talk. Okay, then let me take my mic here. All right, final person. All right, sir. Sorry for my left. The other USB card. Oh, you can bring the uh, mic closer. In our thoughts, in our utterances, okay. in our bodies. And uh, he mentioned purpose already. Okay. So there were five purpose, thoughts, utterances. Are you listening? Please say it a little louder so that those who are not around can hear. Okay. So there were five areas that we were supposed to exercise discipline in. Okay. They were, there were purpose. Five areas every believer is supposed to exercise discipline in. The first one is what? Purpose. Purpose. Uh-huh. The second one was the use of time. The use of time. Then in our thoughts. In thoughts. Mm-hmm. Our utterances. Utterances. Then in our flesh. In, in our flesh. That's very powerful. That's an appetite. Very powerful. Hallelujah. So, um, it is very important that um, we begin to understand that the Christian life is a war. Praise God. The Christian life is a war. Not only so, God rewards labor. Amen? God rewards labor. Last week I shared with you that um, if you don't live for God, okay, 
when you are on earth. If you have believed Jesus Christ, you will be saved according to scripture. But we need to understand that there are losses in heaven. There are believers who will come with no rewards. Not only will you have losses in heaven or not only will you come with rewards in heaven, there will be so much shame on you. And that shame will remain in you eternally. You will feel it. You will know it forever. Yet you are not condemned. If you read some of Jesus' teaching, Jesus speaks of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus speaks of two sufferings. Anytime you read the four Gospels. The first suffering is suffering in hell. And suffering in hell, he says that where there will be worms. Then he speaks of the next one, which is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's also another level of suffering. That one is not for unbelievers. It's for believers. Weeping and gnashing of teeth actually is a symbol for regret. Because God is going to show you all the things, the assignments he gave you for you to do that you did not do. God is going to show you all the things you were supposed to do faithfully, which you didn't do. And all the time you wasted, which you could have used to serve God, he's going to show it to you. And that pain of regret, it will never leave you. We call it, don't leave me. It won't leave you. And those who are rewarded for their labor in Christ, for suffering for Christ, that excitement and joy will also remain in them forever. So the only people who have a chance to make a difference here on earth are those who are alive here on earth as Christians. Because the moment you die and you leave this body, it's, it's too late. That is if nobody resurrects you from the dead. It's too late. You can never add anything to what the chance that you had. You can't. Because between time and eternity, that transition to that place, there's a garment that we are supposed to sew to prepare for our wedding with Jesus. And unfortunately, Jesus will not sew the wedding gown for you. You have to sew it. All the righteous acts you are doing, you are decorating it. You are putting beads in it. You are, you are making it more beautiful. Some of you have not even started sewing it. There is an eternity. There is an eternity. I am telling you because many a times, many Christians have forgotten the fact that they will not live forever. I am hunted always by this thought so that I can do more for Jesus. You will not live in this body forever. There is a day when you leave this body. And unfortunately, you don't know. We only trust God for him to extend our life so we can live longer. And why are we living longer? We are living longer so that we can be able to buy time to do something profitable for the king. Listen, the greatest thing every believer should expect to hear when he goes to heaven is well done. If you never heard it, 
your life was not worth living as a Christian. If you never will hear Jesus tell you, well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. Thou good and faithful servant. If you never heard this in heaven, there is nothing more painful than it. Nothing more painful. Listen, if there's a time to serve God, if there's a time to labor, to sacrifice for Jesus, that time is now. I'm telling you, the time is now. You, you are younger now. Do something for Jesus. Young men and young women, do something for Jesus. Don't wait. Because all the excuses you are giving now, eh, it will get worse as you advance. Because as, the more you advance, the more responsibilities increases. It is the discipline you withhold now that helps you when responsibilities grow. I'm telling you because you're going to have three children, four children, five children. If you didn't discipline yourself to study the Bible, if you didn't discipline yourself to go to church, and then you grow to that point, you become worse. And I've always been telling you that your current Christian life is a seed you are sowing for your future generations. Your children will harvest your current Christian life. So many Christians are so selfish, living for themselves. It's all about them. Today I'm tired. Jesus, hold on. It's a seed you are sowing. You won't do soul winning. It's a seed you are sowing. You won't read your Bible. You won't pray. It's a seed. You are sowing it gradually. You will raise children who will not love God. You will raise children who, who don't know what is called Bible. And many don't know that. Your laziness is preparing your future. Your excuses is preparing your future. I'm telling you this. Because one day when you appear in eternity, God will play this video clip for you. He will play this video clip. You play it. Today's teaching, let me still do a recap of what they did last week. Now, we spoke about the victor's crown Or what we call the incorruptible crown. We said, uh, this is um, for those who kept their body in subjection, disciplined their body, and exercised self-control and self-restraint in their relationship work with God. Now, we explained before we ended, five areas every believer must discipline himself if he wants to become a victorious Christian. We said number one is in the area of purpose. In Philippians chapter 3, I didn't give you scripture, but today I want to give you a scripture to support that. Philippians chapter 3. Let's read from the verse 8. Uh, let's start from the verse 7 first. This is Apostle Paul saying, speaking. He says, he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. So the question I'm asking is that what are you losing for Jesus? What are you losing for Jesus? Then he says in the verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. For the what? For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. What are you sacrificing in order to win him? Now he says, and be found in him. Uh, uh, let's come to... Um, 
The verse 13. The verse 13. Quickly. It says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. So Paul was a man of purpose. Every believer must discipline himself in the area of purpose. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting about those things which are behind me, he says, and reaching forth unto those things which are before me. Look at the verse 14. He says, I press towards the mark. So when he found the purpose, it became one thing he did. I press, so there is pressing in Christianity. He says, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, you must discipline yourself in the area of purpose. And the main area of purpose I'm talking about is not even your education. Because your lecturer should tell you that. I'm a pastor and I'm preparing you for eternity. So, the area of purpose you should discipline yourself in is the purpose of God's kingdom. Never end your day without thinking of what you can do for Jesus. What can I do for him? You must discipline yourself in the area of your purpose. This one thing I do. One thing I do. Number two is in the area of thoughts. You must discipline yourself in the area of thought. That means you, you, you become a policeman or policewoman of what enters and goes out of your thoughts. You must master what gets into your mind. You must learn to discipline your thoughts because if you don't, you are going to fall into big trouble. Almost every evil act you do, if it first began as a thought, and those thoughts were given more access and entry. They were meditated upon. They were thought on. And soon the thought left into your heart. That is how come you need to discipline yourself in the area of your thoughts. When there's a wrong thought that comes, which is not consistent with God's word, you need to discard it. How do you discard it? You discard it with another thought, which is in God's word. I've been doing that battle every time. Every time. The devil bring wrong pictures. He will bring it. He will bring it. Even as I'm preaching here, he will bring wrong pictures to you. And you must cast it down with the word of God. That's why every Christian must always be renewing his mind. In Romans chapter 12, the verse 2, you can write that down. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, if you don't transform by the renewing of your mind, you will conform to the world. You will comply with the standards of this world. There are many Christians who are Christians in faith, but they have conformed to the systems of the world. The world is now teaching them how to live. The world is now teaching them and guiding them. So, you go to discipline your thought by renewing it. Philippians chapter 4 from the verse 6. Now watch that. He says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Uh -huh. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall, God, shall keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now watch the verse 8. Watch it. He says, Finally, brethren, 
whatsoever things are true. It's very specific. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are uh, uh, honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, the word virtue is character. He says, if there be any praise, do what? Think on these things. So the Bible is telling us what, what to think on. You don't think on anything. Don't be a loose believer in thought. Are you following this thing? Give that to me in NLT so it, it, it gets much clearer for you. Now watch that. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure. So revenge is not honorable. Revenge is not honorable. You planned that you're going to retaliate to something someone did to you. It's not honorable. I'm speaking to you. It's not honorable. He says, don't think on it. He says, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable? This admirable here is admiration before God. Will God admire this thought? If it's to open your brains, your mind and look into it, will God admire your thoughts? He says, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Will God congratulate you for that thought that is passing through your mind? Will he? Would that thought please him? That's like you see, you see, uh, one one of the connections you have in your thoughts is your eyes and your ears. They are the two major connections to your thoughts. That's why you need to be very careful what you watch and what you hear. I'm going to do an advanced teaching on that in second service. I wish you were around. So, if you're a believer and you keep watching pornography, what happens is that your eyes becomes the gate into your mind. And mind you, there is a difference between your mind and your brain. Your mind is beyond your brain. Your brain is a physical organ in your head. Your mind is a spiritual organ in your soul. Are you following this thing? So, the eye becomes the gate into your mind. So, as you keep watching wrong stuff, what is happening is that you are engaging your thoughts and feeding your thoughts with the wrong, filthy information. Because as you keep doing that, soon it's going to enter into your heart. And anything that enters your heart becomes difficult to get rid of. So the Bible tells us what to think on. Am I helping you? Number three, we have to exercise discipline in our physical body. This body you have is a very faithful servant, but a terrible master. You must gain control over this body. Tell the body what it's supposed to do. Don't let tiredness control you. Don't let laziness control you. Laziness. There are believers who are lazy. Very, very, very lazy. Gain discipline for this body. And to gain discipline over the body, it is a fight. Tell someone it's a fight. Don't expect, listen, don't expect uh, help to come from heaven. 
When you wake up in the morning, you want to read your Bible, and then you say, Holy Ghost. Then the Holy Ghost will move you like you can't. Boy, yeah. I wish. You get up, go and wash your face. Brush, crawl on your knees, and be praying. You are gaining mastery soon, 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 soon. It's just a matter of time. As you keep telling the body what it should do and not what it should tell you to do, soon your body will be like, ah, sorry, sir. That's what your body will say to you. Because you have given your body the, the mastery over you, the moment you are trying to gain that mastery back, the body will fight you. Are you following this thing? It will fight you. It will fight you hard. You, you want to pray at 4 a.m. You wake up. Your body will say, hey, have you ever done this before? Sleep! And the body will blow air on your eyes. You'll be like, I... Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then you sleep again. Uh, uh, uh. It's a fight. That day, that time was a fight. Gain mastery. Discipline this body. Decide you will not eat late evening so they can be able to wake up because no matter the prayer you pray, if you eat late, you wake up late. Simple. So in gaining mastery, you, you check all these things that the body is trying to gain mastery in. And you tame it. Are ah, you following this thing? The, the, the um, fourth area is the use of time. Don't be a time waster. We'll be judged in how we use time. God gives you 24 hours every day as a gift. How do you use it? You need to start giving an account on your, how you use time. And you realize the time you have been wasting. The time you have been wasting. Number five is the area of speech. The kind of words you say. You must gain mastery over it. You must discipline yourself in the area of your talk. Talk. Don't talk anyhow as a believer. There are some talks that are not Christian. There are some, there are, you can meet two Christians talking and you'll be thinking they're unbelievers. Because the content is just bad. Number six is the area of your appetite. Appetite. Listen, don't, don't do what you feel like doing. third crown the third crown we have is what we call the crown of life or what we call the lover's crown that is the third reward or the third crown that are given to believers it's called the crown of life or what the lover's crown James chapter 1 the verse 12 the lover's crown so you're going to see here. Now watch that. He says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried. So your Christian faith will be tried. Temptations try you of what sort you really are. Every temptation is a suggestion. 
You can stop the devil from bringing suggestions. But you can stop him from making you do it. So there is nobody on this earth that will ever escape temptation. Because even Christ himself was tempted. Many of you don't know this thing. Let me show you scripture. Hebrews chapter number 2. I will prove to you that even Jesus was tempted in the area of sexuality. <laughs> I'm coming to prove to you. Say, prove it. I'm proving it. I'm giving you two scriptures, not just one. Hebrews chapter 2, look at the verse 16. Look. He says, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels. So he's saying Jesus did not take the body of an angel so that he will have some supernatural powers to escape certain inclinations of the human body. Mm, are you following this thing? But he took upon him what? The seed of Abraham, which is human flesh. Now look, he says, Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. So Jesus was exactly like us. He was God, but on earth he functioned as the son of man. Listen, Jesus did not come with extraordinary powers. No. Get this thing. Jesus did not come on earth with any extraordinary power. He was born like a normal baby. The only difference was that he was not contaminated in his spirit with sin. But every feeling you have in your body, Jesus had the same feeling. So, for Jesus to be powerful, he had to fast, just like you fast. He received the Holy Ghost in Luke chapter 3 from the verse 14, the same way you receive the Holy Ghost. So, after fasting, the Bible says, he returned in the power of the Spirit to tell us that he did, he did not start life with power. He paid the price for power, just like you do. Am I, I, I teaching good here? I'm, I'm not done at all. Follow. He says, it behooved him to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and what? Faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now look, he says, for in that he himself had what? Suffered being. So Jesus suffered temptation. How? Do you suffer temptation the way you have been suffering temptation? Because he himself also suffered being tempted, he is able to succor, to help them that are tempted. Next scripture. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at that. From the verse 15. You see something. You see something here that is, that is concluding what I'm saying. He says, for we have not and high priest, which cannot be touched with the what? Feelings of our weaknesses. But was in all points. How many points? All. all. <laughs> how many? All. all points what? Tempted like us. Oh, you are not here. Like us. We are. How are you tempted? The way you are tempted, eh? It's the same way 
Jesus was tempted. So Jesus, at the point, felt for sex. Oh, I lost the congregation here. <laughs> no, you see, you have never believed this. And if you don't believe this, your Christianity is not complete. Because until you have believed in the 100% humanity of Jesus, you cannot, be, you cannot be able to trust that God can tame your humanity to serve Christ. If you cannot believe in the 100% humanity of Jesus, you cannot believe in the fullness of your salvation. He was a full man, tempted like as we are. He fell for sex. In fact, if you read, look for, he was hungry and he was tempted for food to eat before the time. You don't know this thing. See, Jesus was tempted not to die. And he went and said, Father, if it is possible, look at our God. He says, Father, Eddie, if it's possible, that's Jesus. Oh, that's Jesus. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Ah, and surprisingly, in the book of Luke, he did that three times. Sorry, Matthew. He went again and came back, Father. And he went and came back the third time. Look, Jesus was tempted not to die. That tells us that the same way you feel when you wake up to pray and you don't feel like praying, Jesus felt that at times. The way sometimes you feel like watching pornography, Jesus felt that at times. But feeling does not mean action. And uh, you follow this thing, huh? Erection does not mean direction. Desire does not mean doing. So Jesus, hi. He says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched. He can't feel how you feel. Listen, if God does not feel what it means to be a man, he can't save man. That's why in Christ Jesus, God became a man. So he can touch with the infirmities, the feelings, the things we go through when we wake up. Because sometimes somebody will be accusing God. God, you don't know what it is to be a man. Because God, even if you're a man, God, you would have masturbated. God, if you were a man, you would have given up. God, you don't know what it is to be a man. Jesus was God proving to man that I myself have become a man. If I overcame, you can overcome. So Jesus was God proving to man what it is to live as a man. So look at this. Give that to me in NLT so that we can break it down to understand the humanity of Jesus. He says he taught regularly. No. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. I love you. I love you. He says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Listen, if God never became a man, he couldn't have said that. Because you, God, you don't understand. You are, you are on top there using men. Yet you have not become a man. How dare you come and tell us how to live? Because you don't know what it means to be a man. Are you following this thing? 
It's like I've never gone for evangelism before. And I've sent people to go for evangelism. And they are coming to tell me their problems. I say, hey, go! Go! If I have gone for evangelism before and you are telling me the challenges, I'll feel for you. I'm like, ah, I understand, but I'll help you. Are, are you. are you getting that? He has become a man before. Jesus knows early morning erection. <laughs> oh, you, you don't think that uh, there was a time maybe when he's closer to Martha or Mary. There was a Ama that there was a oh you don't know this thing look he says he understands our weakness for he faced hey, he faced all of the same test things we do yet he did not sin come back come back come back to King James version and let's see this thing there he says uh-uh, uh-uh. The verse 15. He says, We have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points what? Tempted. In all points, oh, like we, like the way we are also tempted as human beings, he was also tempted. Yet he was without sin. That means Jesus overcame every temptation that you and I face. To let us know it is possible to be a human being and overcome temptation. You know, people speak this lie saying, um, when you are between 18 and 25, there are some, you can't do anything about it except to give up. It's a lie. This scripture is disproving that lie you have heard. That it's not easy to be a man in these last days. It's a lie. You are not spiritual. You are not spiritual. You want to be a man. You want to be a man in Christ. It doesn't work that way. Hey! I'm, I'm teaching good. The crown of life or the lovest crown. Come back to James chapter 1, the verse 12. What I guess that was just by the way, okay? Now, he says, Bless the man that endure temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive what? The crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that. Huh. Look, there is a condition attached. This crown is for lovers. And I submit to you that not every believer is a lover of God. No. He says, it is a crown given to those who love him. The verse 12. For, you see, which the Lord has promised. This is a promise for lovers of God. God promises that I'm going to give this crown to my lovers. Because when someone loves someone, there is something he does that when someone who has not fallen in love with someone will not do. Listen. We need to understand the love of God in three lights. Number one, God's love for the whole world. Number two, God's love for the church. And number three, God's love for those who love him. They are all not the same. 
For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a love God has for everybody, every human being. God loves you. He so loved the world. And that love made him give man. Are you following this thing? Now, the second light of God's love is God's love for the church. If you read Ephesians chapter 5 from the verse 27 to 31, it tells us that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. There is a love that God has for the church. It is not the same as the love he has for the world. The way I love my wife is not the same as I love another man or woman. No. Are you following this thing? So, there is a love God has for the church. That love is not the same as the love he has for the whole world. The love he has for the church is a love a husband has for the wife. So when you become a Christian, there is a certain attention you have from God. An unbeliever cannot enjoy it. You can argue it, but it's true. If God so loved the world, why didn't he give them the Holy Spirit? And when you became a believer, he says, ah, my wife. Receive. Gives of the spirit. Eternal salvation. <laughs> then the third light of God's love is the love that he has for the church eh? made up of Christians who love him. That one too is not the same as the love he has for the whole church. This one is for lovers of God. Those who are crazy about God. And go the extra mile. Crazy lovers of God. I'm telling you, the fact that you're a Christian does not mean you love God. This crown is given for lovers. It is for lovers. Those who love him. What's the proof of love? The proof of love is number one, obedience. You listen to one you love. So, the lovers of God are number one, those who obey God. They are, the first, they, they are the first category of people who love God. If you don't obey God, you don't love him. I'm just, I'm going to prove to you in scripture. First of all, in Proverbs chapter 8, the verse 17. Look at God speaking. He says, I love them that love me. This one is not the same as the love he has for the whole world and love he has for every Christian. This one is for Christians who love him. He says, I love them that love him. This is a special love. It's a special kind of love. You want New Testament? I know you're looking for New Testament. John chapter 14. I'll give it to you. John chapter 14. Give that to me in verse 23. No. No. In fact, give it to me first in 21. We are going to see what it means to love God. He says, he that hath my commandments, and what? Keepeth them, he it is that what? Loveth me. And he that loveth me, he, he, he shall be loved by my father. And I will love him. Look! And I what? 
This is not a manifestation he gives to everybody. I would manifest myself to him. Check those who are closer to Jesus. There are revelations they receive. Other people don't receive it. He will manifest himself. He will show himself to them. Those who love him. I want to love him. Look at the verse 23. He says, Judah said unto him, the verse 23, he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man loved me, how will he know? He will keep my words and my father will love him and will come unto him and we will make our boat. That, that means we will settle. We will settle in his life. We will settle. Do you love him? Hey. He promises this crown for lovers of God. Praise God. The second way of proving to God is enduring trials. The second way of proving your love to him is to endure trials. In fact, what we are calling Christianity today is not Christianity. It is what we call convenience and modernism. We have modernized Christianity now. Everybody wants convenient Christianity. I'll go to church. Okay, I'll go to church. What time do they close? They, they do service for one hour, 30 minutes. Okay, one hour, 30 minutes. Okay, it's, it's, it falls within my range. I don't want something they talk too much. I don't want pastors who talk too much. I want con convenient Christianity. Something I can finish quickly. Finish quickly so that I can go and continue with other things. Hey! You gave 24 hours times 6. Calculate that. You gave it to other things. And there's one day to sit at his feet and prove your love to him. That I want to stay with this man. I want to hear his words for me. And you, he said, no, I don't have time. Imagine what is going to be in heaven when we appear before Jesus. Hey! We can't endure the love. The one we said we love. We can't endure sitting under his feet. We have become so carnal to the extent that we think the man preaching is preaching for himself. And we've forgotten that Jesus can't be an usher. He can only usher through us. Jesus can't be a preacher. He can only preach through us. We want convenience. Easy Christianity. Something that has not cost us. Let's do it quickly. Let's give offering and get out of this place. I have some movie to watch. I have episode 25 to continue. I have some, some visits to go and do. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. We'll go and face him. And I'm telling you, it will not be funny. If you love somebody, eh, you want to spend time for, with a person. It's only churches or Christians who say they love Jesus, yet yeah, they don't want to spend time with him. Look at the hypocrisy. And today, we are okay spending three hours having a fruitless conversation with a friend. 
Hey, look, 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 look. Guys, let's get serious about God. Because what we are calling Christianity today is fake. It's fake. We are coming to church to just show God that we are around. God, I, I came home. Mark it. We come to church to make our conscience okay that at least I'm a Christian. If my mother hears at home that I didn't go to church, it will be some way. So let me just come to church. And we don't know it is Jesus we came to meet. The one who died. Listen, the one who shed his blood. The one who was slain for us. The one who saved us from the pit of hell. The one who sat us up at the right hand of God. The one who brought us from the miry clay and set our feet upon the rock. The one in whom we live and move and have our being. This is the man. This is God. This is God. This is God. And we don't care about him anymore. It's all about lectures, right? It's all about work, right? It's all about family, right? If this does not haunt you, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is not speaking to you again. If this is not concerning for you as a Christian, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit has stopped speaking to you. So you don't sense his rebuke again in your heart. That's how you have degenerated. That's how you have lowered your Christian standards. You can't even carry your Bible today as a Christian. You can't carry your Bible. You are shy. You are shy to do your morning devotion because they'll call yourself a mommy. That's how you have treated Jesus Christ. You can't do morning devotion. You cannot hold a microphone and preach in a lecture hall. Why? Because they'll call you crefe. So what are you living as a Christian? God is communicating his emotion through me. His heart is broken about the state of how Christ is being treated. Especially the young generation that must bear their yoke in their youth. And not behaving like older men and older women who don't have time for God. Hey! God help us. This crown is for lovers. Am I teaching good here? This is something Christians don't want to hear. Listen. There are troubles in Christianity. There are afflictions in Christianity. There are persecutions in Christianity. There are hardships in Christianity. In as much as God wants us to prosper, there are hardships. In Romans chapter 5, the verse 3, watch that. He says, and not only so, but we glory in what? We glory in what? Uh-uh, you're not here. We glory in what? Tribulation. What is the purpose of tribulation? The Bible says, knowing that tribulation work at what? Patience. That word patience is experience. If you're a Christian, you've not been through anything because you're serving Christ. Your Christianity is no quality. Not only so, we glory in tribulation also. Knowing that tribulation produces patience. And patience what? Experience. And experience hope. 
What have you gone through as a Christian? What have you endured? What have you endured as a testimony that someone will hear and you also run after Christ? I heard of a man called David Livingston who came to Africa. He did not pack his luggage into a bag. He packed his luggage into a coffin. Came to Africa. Didn't know anybody from there. Traveled to bushes to go and preach in villages and towns. One day on one of his journeys as he was going, he was attacked by a lion and the lion took off his right arm. He went back to where he stayed. He went to take a gun and went back to go and preach. Tied his hands and went to preach. When I read of his final days, one of his servants was sent to go and bring him either some food or some water or something. When the servant came back, he was kneeling down, dead. He died on his knees praying. I was encouraged. I was rebuked. I was challenged at the same time of what people did for God. God is speaking to your heart. In your own small way, what have you done? What have you endured? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the verse 16. Watch that. He says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Listen, the, the extent to which this outward man suffers because of your service to God determines the glory of the renewal inside you. Maybe you didn't get it. The extent to which this body perishes in your service to God determines the glory revealed inside. You are fasting. The body is, ter- is perishing. Winning souls. Your body is getting tired. Perishing. That is how the glory is renewed. Look at the next verse. He says, but for a light affliction. Apostle Paul called his affliction light. He was stoned three times. He said light affliction. He was beaten with a rod. He said light affliction. He received 40 minus 1 five times. He said light affliction. Your phone got missing for Christ. Huge affliction. You had a B plus or C plus because you were busy doing evangelism. Huge affliction. Hmm. Are you prepared for this maker? I don't think you're prepared for him. I don't think so. Because me, I'm not prepared. Necessities laid upon me because I've done nothing for him. First Thessalonians chapter 1, the verse 6 and 7. And he became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in what? Much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. These, these, these people were receiving the word of God in much affliction. They were afflicted, yet they were, they were rejoicing the Holy Ghost and receiving the word of God. 
You don't have money in your pocket. And that was the end of your life. You couldn't even endure one hour teaching. Look at this Thessalonican church. So that she became examples unto all them that believe in Macedonia. Their behavior towards affliction became an example. It became an encouragement to other churches. Who is your life like an example to? Am I helping somebody today? Going through hunger, pain, emptiness for the name of Christ, even to the point of death. Going through and enduring, this is how you receive this crown. Yesterday, I received a call very late in the evening. Someone called me. The wife was severely sick at the hospital. She was admitted there. So I spoke to her, prayed for her. The moment that was done, the Lord said, empty your Momo account and give it to them. I said, how is this possible? Emptied everything. Sent everything to them to take care of the hospital bills. How do you live? It is part of the afflictions of Christ. We endure it for him. We endure it for him. We endure for him. Now, you can write this down. This crown is for believers who maintain their love for Christ. This crown is for believers who maintain their love for Christ while triumphing over persecution. Temptation and even martyrdom. This crown is for believers who maintain their love for Christ while triumphing over persecution, temptation and even martyrdom. That means even to the point of dying for Jesus. Uh, are you writing this down? Good. So, any believer who keeps the faith when it was costly to do so, any believer who keeps the faith when it was costly to do so, who suffered, endured, persevered, and even encouraged others is that believer who deserves this crown. Let me repeat that again. Any believer who keeps the faith when it was costly to do so, who suffered, endured, persevered, and encouraged others, that is the believer who deserves that crown. Next, follow. This crown is given to those who showed great love to the Lord 
in the things they suffered. This crown is given to those who showed great love to the Lord in the things they suffered, even to the point of death. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. Message translation. Very scary. It is an offense not to love God. I was shocked when I saw the scripture. This is Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Grace. It is an offense not to love God as a Christian. Look. First Corinthians 16, the verse 22. Message translation. Anyone if anyone won't love the master, throw him out. This Apostle Paul. Give that to me in Amplified Translation. It's an offense not to love Jesus. So. Anyone, if anyone does not love the Lord, does not have a friendly affection for him, and is not kindly disposed towards him, he shall be accursed. <laughs> Give that to me in KJV so you understand it. In fact, that one will even confuse you more. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. It, it means let, let him not be counted among those who are worthy. He went to the point of using a very strong word. He said, Let him be accursed, let him be cursed. If any man does not love our Lord. And I said, loving Lord is not Jesus. We love you. We all love you. It's not that one. It's not the one you do in worship. The one you do in worship is actually an expression of what you have been doing physically. In how you behave. NIV. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, what? A curse be upon him. Come, O Lord. <laughs> the translators were careful Maranatha. they didn't know how to translate the thing because they were like Apostle Paul I mean the way you preach you don't sound that way it's an offense not to love God I'm telling you to not love God you're offending him let's do this finally this crown is for people who have patiently endured trials people who have patiently endured trials testing and persecution are your roommates persecuting you are, are the workers in your company persecuting you not for gossiping but for living as a Christian. Because your Christianity will be tested. It will be tested. And everybody's trial will be unique. Mine trial will not be your trial. Quickly, let me give you this. Five 
kinds of sufferings we have in the New Testament. So you understand the kind of suffering we are talking about because people think suffering means suffering. So we are just there suffering for Jesus. You go and steal someone's bag, they catch you, they beat you up, you say you are suffering for Christ. Not every suffering is suffering for Christ. So they are beating you. They are beating you because you went to lie. And they are beating you. You say, Jesus, I'm taking all this for you. We need to understand the suffering. But before I put this down, any Christianity that has not cost you anything is fake. Any Christianity that doesn't cost you anything is fake. Fake faith. It's not cost you anything. It's fake. There are people here who drove from Tema long distance and came here. It has cost them something. We call it fuel. For Jesus. I know people who can drive from here to their former SS school for homecoming. Homecoming. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't give reward. Homecoming <laughs> it doesn't give you rewards. It costs you something. That's, that is what we call Christianity. You know why? Because the one who founded it, if I should use that kind of word, laid that foundation with a sacrifice. It cost him his blood. That means that Christian faith is lived by sacrifice. Write it down. Christianity is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of sacrifice. You, you live daily by dying daily. Christianity is a sacrificial life. Sacrificing for Jesus, sacrificing for others. That is what we are calling Christianity. And you see, we don't do it when we are convenient. There are believers who say, I'll give when I get more. It's a lie. You, you are not acting like a Christian. I'll give when I have more. That's, that's not a Christian talking. That's not a Christian language. The little you have, when you give, that's when it becomes a sacrifice. And that's what Jesus takes. That's what he receives. He said, uh-huh. In pain, in affliction, in brokenness, he's giving his, his all out of it. That is the sacrifice of Christianity. It must cost you something. It must cost you your time. It must cost you your money. It must cost you your labor. It must cost you your energy. It must cost you something before it becomes the Christian life, the true, actual Christian life. I'm teaching good here. Quickly, the five kinds of suffering. The first kind of suffering is what we call sufferings of Christ. Sufferings of Christ. It's the first kind of suffering. Nobody can suffer this suffering. If you suffer this suffering, that means you are, you are a savior. The sufferings of Christ. First Peter chapter 3, the verse 18. Let's do it quickly because of my time. He says, for Christ also hath once what? 
suffered for sins. So this is the sufferings of Christ. The just for the unjust. That means he was just. We were unjust, but there was an exchange. He became unjust so that we can become just. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. So this is the first kind of suffering. Nobody can suffer this, Christ, this suffering. Only Christ. And that's the suffering he went through to save us. It's the first kind of suffering. You are not part of this suffering. Then, we have the second kind of suffering. Called the sufferings for Christ. Sufferings for Christ. These are the sufferings you endure for Jesus Christ because you love him. 1 Peter chapter 4, the verse 13 and 14. Sufferings for Christ. You suffer for him because you serve him. You suffer for him because you love him. It's the sufferings you go through for him. Winning souls for Christ. Going to people's rooms. Going to people's houses. They suck you. Make you feel less of yourself. But rejoice. In as much as ye are partakers of what? Christ's suffering. We are to partake of his suffering. We are to become shareholders in Christ's suffering. When his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Listen, there is joy in suffering for Jesus. Next verse. If ye be what? Reproached for the name of Christ. Happy are ye. You should rejoice that almost every day something happens and you are reproached for the name of Jesus Christ. I'm teaching good here. For the what? This is glory. This is where glory is. For the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. I love it. Look at 1 Peter 3, the verse 14. <laughs> Look, but, but, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. It's good. Number three, the third kind of suffering is called suffering for sins. Suffering for sins. So we have looked at the first three. The first is sufferings of Christ, which is Christ dying for you. All the affliction he went through on the cross for you is the sufferings of Christ. Number two, we have the sufferings for Christ. Which is the sufferings we go through and endure for Jesus because we love him. Number three is the sufferings for sins. This one is the sufferings that believers go through because they made wrong choices and they live for their pleasure. The sufferings you go through because you made wrong choices or took the wrong decisions or walked in disobedience to God's word. In as much as Jesus suffered for our sins eternally, you can still suffer for your sins for your sins temporarily here on earth. You can be a Christian born again, forgiven, washed with the blood of Jesus, speaking in tongues, try stealing someone's handbag and try running. And see if they'll speak in tongues and chase you. Oh, beloved, I can assure you, you really die in Christ. You die where we're in Christ. They'll burn you with tithe. That one is called suffering for sins. 
Let me give you scripture for that. So, a believer can still suffer for his wrong choices, for walking in disobedience. You, still, you can suffer on earth here. It's not God punishing you. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. First Peter 3, 15. Watch that. He says, First Peter 3, 15. Oh. Let me check that quickly. Check First Peter chapter 4, the verse 15, rather. Good. He says, but let none of you believers suffer as a what? So a believer can suffer as a murderer. Or as a thief. They are Christian thieves. He says, or suffer as a what? Evil doer. Or as a what? Busybody is in the Bible. Though. Busybody in other men's matters. Go consume. Because you can suffer for it. You can suffer. Have you ever gossiped about someone? Hmm? And the thing you said about the person, you said some bad things about the person to another person. And unfortunately, the person wants to hear it. Has it happened to you before? And the person approached you. I heard you were saying that. <laughs> How do you feel? That's the suffering we are talking about. <laughs> Do you know something about gossip? What you cannot say about somebody when the person is there, don't say it in the presence of something. If you can say something, when Pastor Moses is here, you can say something about him when he's here. Eh? And you can say it to another person when he's around, you can say it. If you cannot say it when he's not around, you can't say it to somebody. It is a wrong spirit. It is sin. with the silence of heaven. I'm teaching you. Number four. Suffering losses at the Bema City. That's the fourth kind of suffering. First Corinthians chapter 3, the verse 11 to 15. These are, these are sufferings you suffer by losing your rewards in heaven. It's the suffering you go through when you lose all your rewards in heaven. Look, the Bible says, For others' foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Next verse. It says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, uh -huh, every man's work shall be what? Made manifest. I told you it is not your faith that will be rewarded in heaven because your faith was made possible by someone else. It is your work as a Christian after faith that will be rewarded. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what? Sort it is. Next verse. If any man's work abide, which he shall have built up, he shall receive a what? Reward. Next verse. I've explained that in three kinds of chapters. You can go and get that teaching. If any man's work shall be what? Being. When we appear before Jesus, okay? 
the fire that is going to reveal our work is that the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1 from the verse 15 to 18. It says his eyes are like flames of fire. So when we appear before Jesus Christ, he just looks at us. When he looks at you, he has finished nothing. All the things you did for vain glory, it will burn. All the kind of life that we live that didn't bring Jesus to uh, Jesus' glory is going to burn. So he says, if any man's works shall be burned. So there are some believers whose works will be burned. He says, they shall what? Suffer what? Loss. But he himself shall be what? Saved, yet so by God. So you see, the believers who are living for themselves. He says that you will be saved because you have believed Christ. But guess what? You suffer loss. It causes suffering. That loss is a suffering. That's why you feel that shame for the rest of your life. Then the fifth kind of suffering is called suffering eternally in hell. Jude 6. Jude 6. This is the suffering a man goes through because he rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a suffering a man goes through because he rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, he says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, and are set forth for an example, suffering the evangels of eternal fire. It's going to be the state of unbelievers for rejecting the gospel. Are you learning something? How many sufferings do we have in the New Testament? Five. What's number one? Sufferings of Christ. Uh-huh. Two. Sufferings for Christ. Number three. Sufferings for sins. Number four. Suffering losses at the bema seat of Christ. Number five. Suffering what? Eternally in hell. I want someone to rise up and explain all the five. And reward. I want someone to try it. Explain everything for me now. All the five. Quickly. Just explain it. Short, 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 short. For reward. Sufferings of Christ. That's powerful. Number two, sufferings for Christ. Uh-huh. Sufferings for Christ is the suffering as a believer. Yes, so it's all the
Take your mind from her. This is powerful. All right. I promise to give you a reward. You come for prayer and service. <laughs> Do you want a reward? Okay. Uh, there was a man, there was one great man of God who had been following Archbishop Macarillo. They went for a huge program. They ministered together. And then when they went for the program, they were done. Very better program. Archbishop was handed gave the honorarium of that the man of the prophet that he went with to minister with him. They gave the honorarium to Archbishop. His honorarium was $70,000. And before they were about to set off to Ghana, Archbishop took his honorarium and put it here and took anointing oil and put it here. He said, choose one. <laughs> you know what anointing oil means? It means I'll, I will pray for you and give you anointing oil grace for ministry. $70,000. Your destiny will change. <laughs> he said, choose one. He said, he went outside. He, he, he excused. <laughs> he went outside. Went to praise the Lord. The church does not have a land. We are suffering. $70,000. All our affliction will be over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Jesus Jesus told him that this is the archbishop. He has paid a price for a grace. Choose the oil. He came crying. <laughs> he chose the oil. He said, son, kneel down. He released grace over the man. When he came, two weeks later, somebody bought him $72,000. From then, he started receiving cars. Started receiving houses. So you can imagine. If he chose the $70,000, that was the end. Because that money will finish. Anyway, that was just by the way. God bless you for. Um, so, I'll still give you a reward, okay? So, you choose one prayer and my tablet. <laughs> I know you didn't choose the tablet. You come for prayer. Oh, I'll, gi I'll give her two or three of my books. It's good, right? Except you want KFC. I can still get it for you. Or some pizza. Or some hamburger. Or some salad with, with um, salad cream. With, or some wache. And I'm trying to whet your appetite this morning so that. Hallelujah. All right. Lift up your hands and begin to thank the Lord. Pray to Jesus and tell him that you, you want to be counted worthy in your work with him. Thank you, Lord. 